We're in a three-part series called Fellowship DNA. What is it about fellowship at its core that makes us who we are as a church? That's what we're talking about. And uh, it's our normal habit and practice to take a book of the Bible and walk through it. We walked through Philippians for seven months and we've come to a close, but I thought now would be a good time to kind of get some unity around three main things that we're going to focus on as a church. Our vision going forward. And last week we said that we are a church that delivers the Word. That's what we said. We deliver the Word. At Fellowship Baptist Church, the Bible is our foundation. God's Word is what God uses to accomplish His purposes. And we're not going to put anything else in the center of that. That's the way He's designed it. That's the way He set it up. We are a Word-centered church at Fellowship Baptist Church. And the reason we are is because we believe that the Bible is the actual Word of God. We said that last week. That where the Bible speaks... God speaks. When we hear it, we hear Him. And because the Bible is our foundation, and because the Bible has authority over us, we are called to obey what's in it. Right? We are called to let it be the guide for how we live and for how we function as a church. And that leads us to part two of our DNA. Discipleship. Disciple the believer. Unfortunately, discipleship has been lacking in the church. And I don't mean just Fellowship Baptist Church. I mean capital C Church, especially in the West here in America. Discipleship has taken a back seat to some other things. And, and I'm not just pulling that out of the air. I'll share some stuff with you here. Two years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, approved a discipleship task force. And their task was to look at the state of discipleship in all Southern Baptist churches, and then they would give a report the following year at the next convention meeting. This past convention meeting, that task force gave its report, and the numbers are disheartening, and I want to share them with you. In the past 20 years, Southern Baptist churches have baptized 7.1 million people. Now, that's pretty good. And you may be thinking, well, that don't sound so bad. I'm going to continue. Over that same 20-year span, attendance in Southern Baptist churches has declined by 20,000 people per week. We have added 7.1 million people to our attendance. Instead, what we've seen is we have 20,000 less people attending our churches now than we did 20 years ago. What happened? Where has the 7.1 million people gone who have claimed to profess Christ? How is it possible to baptize and add 7.1 million people in 20 years and yet have 20,000 less people than we did? That's bad math or something. It doesn't add up. And you might say this. I bet you are. You may be thinking this. What about the death rate? What if some of them died? The task force thought about that too. And they took the national mortality rate, the death rate of America, right? And applied that to the numbers and said this. We have still lost 6.5 million people. 
that over that 20 years, yeah, we've lost about 600,000 Southern Baptist members to death. But we've still lost 6.5 million to something else. They're gone. Where did they go? What has happened? They came back and they said this. There was no discipleship for those that were baptized. And I have a theory of why that is. What has happened is we have gone from emphasizing Jesus' command to make disciples to getting decisions. Tell me if this story might sound familiar to you. Let's say a man, we'll call him Bobby. I don't know if we have any Bobbies here. I try to think of a name that maybe we don't have. All right. If you have a family member or if your middle name is Bobby, I'm not talking about you. All right. This is just a name. <laughs> Let's say a man, we'll call him Bobby, has really been having a tough time. He's been having a tough go at it. Life is hard for Bobby right now. And he decides to try church. And he hears when he goes that Jesus is the answer to his problems. That if he trusts Jesus, he'd be okay. So Bobby makes his decision. He comes forward, prays a prayer with the preacher. They declare he's to be baptized the next week. The next week they baptize him into the church. And Bobby sticks it out for a while, maybe a month, maybe six months, and he'll go two or three Sundays in a row and then he'll miss a Sunday or two and then miss a month. And he'll resolve and he's going to go two months and then he'll miss three. Now he does hear some encouraging things when he goes. It's not that. But he just he never reads his Bible. He doesn't get involved in a smaller group of people to study his Bible. And then eventually the busyness of life and all that entails. One day Bobby just stops altogether. He's not at church. He's not reading his Bible at home. He's not following Jesus in any aspect of life. And here's my question about Bobby. Does that sound like a disciple to you? It doesn't, does it? And I guarantee you, some of you who have been in this church for 20, 30, 40, even 50 years could stand right now and give countless names and stories just like Bobby's. Now, I'll be the first to admit, sometimes there are those who you can do all the right things for and they still fall away. I think Jesus makes that plain in His parable of the sower. Sometimes you do everything that you're called to do as a disciple and as a church and people are going to fall away. It happens. But in most cases, like Bobby's, I would beg and submit to you that perhaps the problem is we've changed the way we score the game. We've changed the scorecard. And now for the church, the win is to get the decision. But in the Bible, the decision is just the start. It's where we begin. It's not the end. It's the start. You know how many times the word Christian is used in the Bible? Three times. To refer to believers. Do you know how many times the word disciple is used in the Bible? 269 times. Now, I don't know the ratio to that, but it's a lot to a little. <laughs> and how the Bible talks about believers. 
We've got to change the scorecard. How we keep score. Uh, author Neil Cole, he said this, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing. It's disciples. Here's my prayer for Fellowship Baptist Church going forward. Maybe you can make it your prayer too. That when the Lord evaluates Fellowship Baptist Church, He finds disciples who are making disciples. He doesn't find hundreds of people who have made decisions but aren't following Him. He finds disciples. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Let's read the text together. 16 through 20. You know it. I know it. We're going to look at it again. Verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Father, as we have just read Jesus' last words to His disciples, but would You make that the priority and work of our churches? And Lord, in 20 years from now, if another task force is brought together for Southern Baptist churches, they would see and find that our churches were faithful to turn the tide towards discipleship. Lord, I pray that the Great Commission is not something that we just read and teach. It's something that we practice. Would you help us to disciple here at Fellowship? Would you give us a biblical understanding of discipleship this morning? Would you help us to understand it and not understand it for information's sake, understand it for transformation's sake? Lord, we believe this is Your Word and we believe by the power of Your Spirit You send it out to accomplish that purpose which You have in mind. We pray You would do that in the hearts and in the minds of every person in this room this morning. Lord, I want to remind us that no one is here by accident. That we are here with divine appointments to meet Your Son. Lord, would You help us? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question, and I'm not going to ask you to answer it out loud, just in your mind for a few moments. Okay? What comes to your mind when you hear the phrase, Great Commission? It's one word association. Great Commission. Okay? Do you have your word? Alright. I think for most of us, myself included, I have to bring myself back. When we hear the Great Commission, do you know what we think? Over there. Africa. China. Right? Some of your, your word may have been Africa. Alright. That's okay. But I want to remind you, the Great Commission is not just an over there commission. It is. It involves that. It is a right here commission as well. The Great Commission is not an Africa passage. It's a Ripley, Mississippi passage. 
The Great Commission is a Dumas, Mississippi passage. It is a local church passage given for all Christians, not just the missionaries in Africa and China. Now, in understanding what it means to disciple the believer, we first need to answer the question, what is a disciple? Can we just answer that first? Let's start there. Or maybe a better question is, who is a disciple? So let's start there. Let's, let me say that a disciple is simply this, a follower of Jesus. That's a disciple. That's literally what the world word means. To be a disciple is to be a follower of a particular person. That's what it means. In other words, let's make a distinction. There is not a distinction between someone who is a Christian and someone who is a follower. I mean, a, a disciple. It's not like being a Christian is entry level and then you get to the top tier Christianity when you become a disciple. It's not the way it works. There is no this. My son prayed to receive Jesus 30 years ago. He's just never become a disciple. He's saved. He's just not following Jesus. That don't exist in the Scriptures. You won't find it there. There is no distinction like that. The description of that person according to the Bible is this. They're lost. And they need to follow Jesus for the first time. And maybe if you have a person like that in your mind, the Lord may use this passage to move you to be the one that He uses to accomplish that. Wouldn't that be something? Okay, anyway, that's the first thing about a disciple. Second, the word disciple simply means learner. That's what it means. It means learner. And this was not an idea that Jesus just invented. The idea of a disciple was well established in Hebrew culture in Jesus' day. If you remember, the Apostle Paul said that he was a disciple of the Jewish rabbi Gamaliel. So the way Jewish discipleship would work is that through the education system, disciples would be chosen to follow a rabbi for a number of years. Okay, They would be trained by this rabbi so that one day they themselves would become a rabbi. And they would be given the responsibility to then train their own disciples who would one day become a rabbi. And so the way this process worked is that at the age of 15, after rigorous years of education, you think our kids have a tough education system? Go look at the Hebrew education system. It's tough. So after 15 years of rigorous education, the students would be given a, a rabbi test. Okay? And those who did exceptionally well were chosen by the rabbis to be their disciples. And so they would approach the student after they got the, store, the, the scores and they would say these words, follow me. Now doesn't that sound familiar? Jesus borrows that language from Hebrew discipleship. Now the rest of the students, they would simply graduate school and they would begin working in whatever career the family business was in, usually farming or fishing. All right. In fact, if you remember, when Jesus calls His first disciples in Mark chapter 1, uh, what are they doing? They're fishing. Why is that? They weren't chosen to be rabbis. They went and did the, the family business of fishing. 
And Jesus, the rabbi, walks up to him and says what? Come follow me. So words a rabbi would say to his disciples. So the way discipleship worked with rabbis and with their students was they would say, follow me. And it would literally meant follow after me. And that wasn't figurative. That was literal. So in other words, the rabbi was saying this to the student. Where I go, you go. Where I sleep, you sleep. What I do, you do. What I eat, you eat. And the students would be with the rabbi day and night. And every move the rabbi made, they learned from him. And on top of that, the rabbi taught his students a lesson every single day. And then when the students turned 30, they were then considered a rabbi. And they would start the process themselves. They would give a rabbi test to the coming students. Those who did exceptionally well, they would go and select to be their own disciples. So when Jesus was calling his disciples, it was to this process he was calling them to. They knew what they were getting into. Now that should totally transform the way we think about discipleship and the way we think about following Jesus. Again, making disciples is not just about getting people to make decisions. That's where it starts. So for the church, if we were to apply it to that day, it would be like asking the the students to be a disciple and then saying, come follow me. And they said, I will follow you. And then they walk out the door. And we call it a win. We got them to commit. But they walked away. And then we call it a win. (laughs) It's where we start. Do people need to be saved? Absolutely. We have to evangelize. We also have to disciple. And we'll get to evangelism in a moment. We take those who have been saved and we lead them on a journey of discipleship, of following after Jesus. Evangelism and discipleship are what it takes to obey the Great Commission. We have to have both. You emphasize one at the detriment of the other and you don't have the Great Commission anymore. You don't. Now before... We move on to what a disciple does. Here's what I want to do. I want to paint you a picture of how I envision a disciple to be. Okay? And I want you to hear, hear, hear this description of a disciple. I see a disciple as one who loves the Bible. They love the Scriptures. They have a desire to obey Jesus and they find out how to follow Him in His Word. I see a disciple as one whom Jesus has affected all of life. There's not one aspect of life where He has not had an effect. He's affected the way they spend money, the way they make their decisions, the way they serve in the church, the way they treat people. I see a disciple as one that Jesus has totally changed and it is evident to everyone around them. I see a disciple as one who is openly having conversations with lost people about Jesus. They are talking to people about the gospel and they're inviting people to church. 
I see a disciple as one who puts their own preferences to the side for the need and the well-being of other people. I see a disciple as one who is intentionally helping other people follow Jesus. Does that sound like you? Here's the question. Because before we can move on to the core of the Great Commission to make disciples, I want to submit to you, we have to be one first. So what does a disciple do? Look at verse 17 in Matthew 28. Actually, start in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus directed them. Verse 17. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. What does a disciple do? The first thing a disciple does is they worship Jesus Christ. It's right there. The first thing they do when they see Jesus is they worship. This is where being a disciple and making disciples happens. (coughs) Worship of our resurrected, victorious King. Because I want to remind you that Jesus stands before them as the one who they had seen suffer, they had seen nailed to a cross, they had seen Him die, they had seen Him buried. And now, at the top of a mountain, they seem resurrected. And what's the first thing they do when they lay their eyes on Him? They worship Him. They worship Him. They worship the One who stood in their place and died for their sin. They worship the One who had just won the victory over death. They are consumed with the glory of God and that is the fuel for discipleship. I want you to notice one aspect that I believe gets overlooked in this text. And it's not a big detail, but I think it's a a big detail for us as we look here. So they, they bow down and they worship. Are they alone? What does it say in verse 16? Now the 11 disciples... They weren't alone. They fall down and they worship together. I want to submit to you this morning, a key to discipleship is worshiping with other believers. It's corporate worship. Worshiping Jesus together. That's what we're doing this morning. And I also want to say this. (laughs) This is where we start our journey of discipleship, what we're doing this morning, worshiping Jesus with other people. But if we're going to grow in discipleship, we have to go beyond this, and we'll get to that in a moment. I don't know why, but God has designed that discipleship happens in community. It's not isolated and alone. Think about this. If discipleship, and a definition I'm going to use in a moment is discipleship is helping other people follow Jesus, right? Then discipleship cannot happen by ourselves. 
The literal definition of the word implies that we are with other people. There is no Lone Ranger disciples. It happens in community. Hebrews 10, 23-25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. I love how he starts that passage. He who promised is faithful. And then what's the admonition? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's just one example. Colossians 3.16 Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. What about the text we looked at last week, Ephesians 2, 19-22? So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, with the saints and members of the household of God. He's talking about the church. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22. In Him, you. Now, here's, here's a problem. In Greek, there are ways that you can communicate when you is plural and when it's singular. In right English, there's really not. Right? Now, we can, we can in the South, we can say, in Him, y'all... <laughs> But that's literally, that, that you there, which we read as singular in Greek, is plural. It's multiple people. In Him, y'all also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by Him, by the Spirit. Together. It happens in community. A disciple worships their victorious King in community with other believers. That's the first thing a disciple does. They worship. Secondly, verse 18, a disciple submits to the authority of Jesus. That's right there in the text. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm going to sum that up in, in, in a brief sentence here. And here's what it is. You cannot be a disciple and still be in charge of your life. Either Jesus is Lord and has authority over you, or you are. But they, it can't be happening simultaneously. It goes against the, uh, uh, the definition of what authority is. Someone has to be over someone. The call to be a disciple is always a call to forsake ourselves and lay down our lives. Luke 9.23, just one, one, pat, one Scripture. And He said to all, if anyone would come after Me, it's the discipleship language, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow Me. That's that rabbi-disciple language happening again. And he says, if you're going to follow Me, 
It starts with denying yourself and taking up your own cross. Would you follow after Jesus? Deny yourself. Would you be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Take up your cross. When Jesus has authority over our lives, life becomes about Him. The third thing a disciple does. A disciple makes disciples. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the imperative of the Great Commission. This is the command that Jesus wants us to get, that He wanted His disciples to get then and His disciples now to get. And what is it? Make disciples. What does that mean? Reproduce. Multiply yourself. Make more of who you are is literally what that's saying. Because He's talking to who? He's talking to disciples. The 11 disciples are there. Jesus looks at them, gives them one imperative. Make disciples. Do what I've done with you with other people. Now think about that for a moment. If discipleship is reproducing ourselves in another person to help them follow Jesus, which is the definition I'm going to use, ask yourself this question. If I were to reproduce myself into someone else right now, would it end up in making a disciple? Right now. If I reproduced myself in another person right now, would they follow Jesus? Or maybe a better question is this. Can you even be a disciple without obeying the imperative to make disciples? According to Matthew 28... I don't think so. The call to follow Jesus always, always includes the call to help others follow Jesus. Think about it for a moment in Mark chapter 1. You can turn there if you want, write it down. Running out of time. But Mark chapter 1. Jesus calls His first disciples. They're fishermen. He calls them. He says, come, follow me. But then He adds something there at the end. I will make you what? Fishers of men. The call to be a disciple is always a call to make disciples. It's the process. (laughs) There's not a plan B. It's plan A and there are no sub points under plan A. It's it. It's the mission God has called His church to be on. Make disciples is simply the call to help other people follow Jesus. And there are three participles quickly that hold up the imperative here. Okay, and I want to point those out to you. In other words, Jesus says, make disciples, and then he says three things that that involves. Okay, the first one, verse 19, the first word, go, go. The first way Jesus says we make disciples is by being willing to do it. To go. It's not about our ability, it's about our availability. 
Just be willing. Just say, Lord, I'll do it. And the word go here has implications for being intentional. It could be rendered this way. You may have heard it this way. As you are going. I think that's a biblical rendering. Now what does that mean? It means that we be intentional about helping other people follow Jesus at all times. We help other people follow Jesus when we're at home. We help other people follow Jesus when we're at work. We help other people follow Jesus when we're at the gym. We help other people follow Jesus when we're out eating in a restaurant. That's what the word go means. So that's the first participle there. The second is baptize. Go and baptize. Now I think the first thing to say about baptism is this. If you claim to be a disciple who follows Jesus, the first step is baptism. It's, it's the public announcement that I belong to Jesus. It's the first step of a disciple. And so if you, if you claim to follow Jesus and you haven't been baptized, we need to have a conversation. Talk about why that is and what we can do to take steps to be a disciple. Now, more than the act of baptism itself, the phrase baptizing them actually carries with it the evangelistic portion of the Great Commission. What do you mean by that? In the New Testament, there is no making a profession of faith in Jesus without making that profession public through baptism. So what does that mean? What does Jesus mean when He says baptize them? Call people to repentance and faith in the Gospel. Present the Gospel, and when they're saved, you baptize them. That's the evangelistic portion of the Great Commission, the word baptized. In the New Testament, there is no, I'm saved, but I've never been baptized. And so when Jesus uses this word baptized, he's saying, make converts, ask for decisions. Danny Akins, the president at Southeastern Seminary, he says this, baptism is the badge of being a disciple. It is where biblical profession of faith takes place. Baptism is my unashamed identification with Jesus as my Lord by public declaration. The command to baptize is the command to share the gospel with people in order that they make a public profession of faith of Jesus in Jesus. Now that's the decision portion of the process. The last thing here, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. If disciple means learner, then to make disciples means what? We become teachers. I want, to, I want to make something very clear. The only reason that you are a learner this morning is so that you can take what you learn and become a teacher. In the economy of God, that's the way it works. We are disciples who are being equipped to make disciples, which means we have to be a teacher if they are going to be learners. Now, we can talk about what that means. Does that mean teaching a lesson? Sure it does. In some instances. right? Teaching the Scriptures. But in other instances, and I say this a lot, discipleship is as much caught as it is taught. The way we live our lives. Now, we are not simply called to share with others how we have learned to follow Jesus. Or we are simply called to share with others how to follow Jesus. I think we try to make it so complicated and it's not. 
I want, I want to tell you my definition of discipleship. Helping other people follow Jesus. That don't sound that complicated. And it's not. Notice we teach them not only for information. You may hear, I, I pray a lot, Lord, teach us, but not for information, for transformation. What are we supposed to teach them? To obey all that Christ has commanded. We teach them to obey the Word of God. We not only teach them the doctrines of the Word of God, we teach them how to put them into practice. How to live their life day in and day out. Now that may sound overwhelming. And if I'm honest, it should. It should. There's there's not someone on the sideline ready to tap in and take over our responsibility to make disciples. If it's going to happen here, it's going to happen from us. But look at how Jesus closes the commission. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, I'm with you to the very end, which means two things. First, being a disciple and making disciples ends for us, guess what? Only when we end. That's when we can stop doing it. When our lives come to an end, that's when we can stop. Now you may be saying this, I've never even made disciples. I've been in church 30, 40, 50, 60 years and I've never made disciples. It's too late for me. Do you still have breath? (laughs) Then it's not too late. You have until the end to make disciples. Go. (laughs) Do it. I have a confession to you and I want you to think seriously about this. I would hate to stand before Jesus and every one of us will do it. It's appointed that man die and then face death. We're going to do it. We're going to stand before Him. And I would hate to have to look at Him and confess, I never helped others follow Jesus. I didn't do it. That doesn't have to be you. There's time. Second thing that means, we're not going at it alone. He says what? I'm with you. He's empowering us. He's going to give us the words to say. He's putting us in the right places to be. The question for the disciples and the question for us are, are we going to trust Him? Are we going to trust that He's going to do this work through us? Because He will. Here's our response time. Getting ready for invitation. The task force that I mentioned earlier... They not only gave the bad news about the numbers, they gave some ways to intervene. And I want to share those with you as we close. They came up with two resolutions, two disciplines that make disciples and makes people grow in their faith. They found the first thing this. Those who are growing in their faith, who are growing in discipleship, those who are sharing the gospel and evangelism, and those who are discipling other people, guess what the common factor was? Bible engagement. They were reading and studying the Scriptures for themselves. Number one, by far the most important thing is Bible engagement. And they said, you want to see discipleship happen in your church, exhort and give people resources to read their Bibles on their own. We're going to start doing that here.
We're going to be a people engaged in the Word. The second thing they found, Bible engagement number one. Number two, studying the Bible in a small group. They found those who were in a Sunday school, those who were in a small group, those meeting with a few people each week to study the Bible and to pray for one another together, they were the ones who were growing in their faith more than those who were going at it alone. More than those who were just coming to the Sunday service and leaving. That's why I said the process of discipleship starts with worship. But then we go deeper. So what's the response for us this morning? Are you a disciple? If not, you can decide to follow Jesus today. He extends the words, come follow me. You just have to do it. Repent and believe the gospel, Mark chapter 1. I wish I could have gotten there this morning, but I had to cut it anyway. The second question, are you making disciples now? Maybe you need to engage your Bible regularly. Commit that to the Lord this morning. Maybe you've been one of those Lone Ranger Christians. You've been worshiping consistently and you're you're not in a small group studying the Bible with other people. Would you commit to that? We have several opportunities. We offer Sunday school. We offer Wednesday night Bible study together. Maybe commit to one of those this morning. I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time of invitation.